What we're going to be sharing with you this morning is uh, one of the few passages of Scripture that I actually have a hard time preaching on because I just want to read it and then say, okay, I'm done. Because the Word of God is much better than anything that I am, much better than anything that I can say, much better than anything that I could bring to you. Um, but He has given me some stuff to say to you this morning, and I'm really heavy with the Spirit, which is a good place to be at. I just feel heavy with the Spirit. I'm heavy with my, my own sin, my own transgressions. I'm heavy with the transgressions of the church. I'm heavy with the transgressions of our country. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting time period that we live in right now because the Spirit of the Lord wants to break out like a flood. Amen? He wants to move. God wants to move in such a powerful way. He wants to get all of our attention. What we, what we just read and what, what I just prayed for and what we just prayed for, that revelation, is something that God desires to give each and every single one of us. It is his desire. As we're about to read in the scriptures, we'll figure this out together. But as we're about to read in the scriptures, it is his desire to impart himself and his spirit of wisdom on each one of us. And it is our our honor to receive what he wants to give to us. We're going to start in Ephesians 2, 1. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for being good. Lord, I pray that you would give us all a spirit of revelation, whether we're close to you or we're far away from you, God, whether we know you or we don't know you. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourselves to each one of us in this room, God, that we would leave this room, Lord, and we would leave online our houses, we would leave this teaching um, knowing you more, that we would be filled with your presence and we'd be filled with more of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the book of Ephesians is written to believers. It's written to the church at Ephesus. So as we read this, we can think about this as believers or non-believers, because this scripture actually speaks to both parts. It speaks to both believers and non-believers. Believers, do they need revelation? Amen. Absolutely. 100%. Non-believers, do they need revelation? Amen. Yes, 100%. We both need revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you get revelation and it's just one time? No. We constantly need to be renewed. We are dumb. I am dumb. I'm a dumb country hick from Mississippi. That's who I am. That's who I'll always be. A leopard can't change its spots, and I can't change who I am. And that's just what it is. So I constantly need God to reveal himself to me because I, just as soon as he reveals himself to me, I forget. Just as soon as I'm on my knees weeping, I get up and I forget. And so do all of you, I'm sure. Why? Because we were all made from the same cloth. We all have flesh that wars against the spirit inside of us. And so each one of us Forgets. We need that revelation. So we're going to start in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. This is Ephesians 2.1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world. Catch that. He said, you were? You were? You were? 
Thank you. Dead. You were dead in your trespasses. What we read last week was, uh, was John 1, and Pastor Tim did a really good job of talking about uh, the life that was Christ that became the light of men. Without life, are you alive? No, you're dead. Without life, you are dead. All of our scientists these days are actually trying to figure out how can you create life? How can life become? Evolution is this thought process that life just kind of makes it happen. And then we go through this thing, and we just develop and develop and develop, and life just happens. But what we read in the scriptures and what we know is that life only comes from one place. It comes from what? The breath of God. He spoke life into being. He breathed life into Adam. Life comes from one place, and that is God the Father. It comes from one place, and that is Jesus the Son. It comes from one place, and that is the Holy Spirit. And so us, without Jesus, we have no life. We all were once dead in our trespasses and sin. Now, we still lived. This life was living. God sits there and he holds us together by his grace and his mercy. He holds us together and says, all right, I'm going to let you live this life. But we are zombies, walking dead, if you would. I know some of you guys like zombie movies out there. Some of you guys like zombie shows. I see some smirks back there in the young, the young uh, section over there. They're saying, yeah, yeah, I like that. I play those zombie games. Zombies are destructive. And I think that we can all agree without life, we're all very destructive. We all want only what we want. We desire only what we want, what our desires are. We don't care who gets in our way. We're destructive. And that's here what we're seeing. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world. The course of this world is destruction. We're called sons of destruction. We'll see here in just a second what else we're called. Sons of what? Sons of disobedience is what it says here in just a second. We're following the prince and the power of the air. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, then you, my brother and sister, are headed towards destruction. If you do know Jesus Christ today and you're feeling close to him, then praise the Lord, you are in the light and in the life. If you're feeling far off, then we'll talk to you about that a little bit, a little bit longer. So it says, we are following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. How many of us think that disobedience is a big deal? Most of us don't. Most of us think, oh, disobedience is a really small thing. You know, it's a, it's a little white lie. It's something that you can do every now and then. No, I'm not, I'm not fully disobedient. I'm just partially disobedient. I can do just something that I want to do, just not fully what God's told me to do. Hey, stop eating this food, Zach Calthorn. I want you to stop eating meat. Okay, well, I'm going to stop eating meat, but bacon doesn't count as a meat, right? So I can eat as much bacon as I want to eat. I'm just going to stop eating beef. Well, you know, chicken doesn't count as a meat either, so I'm going to eat as much chicken as I want to eat. You just want me to stop eating beef, God. How often are we like that? I have three boys that are six, five, and almost four, and the one thing that they can do that can get under my skin the most is to be disobedient. All of you parents know what I'm talking about. You say, hey, don't touch that. And then they walk over there and they're like, 
and you say, what did I just tell you to, not to do? Some, the Hulk comes out, your face gets red, you got veins popping out of you. That's me anyways. And I say, I'm like, I just told you not to do that. I just got that amount. I didn't hear you. Yes, you did hear me. You even said, yes, sir. I made you repeat it back to me. And yet you still did it. One of the marks of a true disciple, and we'll get into this a lot whenever we're going through the book of John, is being obedient to what Christ calls us to. In John 14, Jesus says twice, those who love me obey my commands. If you love me, you will obey my commands. So we can see, if you wonder if you're in the faith or not, some of us struggle with that question all the time. Do I love Jesus? Do I not? Am I in the faith? Am I not in the faith? Are you being obedient to the commands of Christ? If you're not being obedient to the commands of Christ, then you can go ahead and probably mark up and say, well, I don't know if I'm in the faith. Because those who love him obey his commands. And if you don't love him, then you probably... If you don't obey his commands, then you probably don't love him. With my children, quite often I have to say, baby, I've told you 100,000 million times, don't hit your brother. Don't punch him in the face. If he does something wrong, then please just come and tell mommy and daddy and let mommy and daddy take care of it. I've told you so many times, please don't hit him. Why did you do it? Well, he made me mad. That's being disobedient. You know, that hurts daddy's heart. It grieves daddy's heart. It makes me feel like you don't love daddy. And in the same way, God is saying that in a much huger way to us. I've told you to love your neighbor as yourself. I've told you to be a steward of your finances. I've told you to be a steward of your time. No, it's okay for you to do that. It's not okay for you to do this. He's calling each one of us to a greater obedience. What does that look like? It looks like following his commands. But those of us who don't know Jesus Christ are sons of disobedience. We're following the spirit of this world. Who's the spirit of this world? We're following Satan. Just as Russ said just a minute ago, whoever that person was said, man, I, I, just, I love that Christians are able to let their children worship Satan once a, once a year. I would say that probably any one of us that's busy being disobedient is already worshiping Satan. We're already taking those steps away from God and into the line of Satan. Are you walking in obedience this morning? Verse 3 says, Among whom we all once carried, all, all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So that's what a disobedience looks like. Being a son of disobedience looks like doing whatever you want to do, however you want to do it. Carrying out the desires of your body and in your mind and by nature, a children of wrath, a child of wrath. Zombies are that way. They're children of wrath. They go after, they eat, they destroy anything that they can. And a lot of the movies, popular movies and video games, what zombies do is if you move, then they go after you. Except for somehow they already know that zomb the other zombies, so they don't usually attack other zombies, which is a weird thing to me. But in reality, a child of wrath and someone who's dead continues to go after destruction. They continue to pursue wrath. 
going after their own desires, their own things, the things that the flesh tells them to do. Eat more. Get more money. Get more love. Have more friends. Get more social media. Blah, 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 blah. Whatever it is, you know. More, more, more of those things. Never satisfied. Always searching. Verse 8 says, but God. Have there ever been more powerful two words than those two words in the entire, entirety of human time? But God. In your sin, but God. In your trespasses, but God. In whatever you have going on, but God. He wants to be in your lives. And he wants to be the but God in your lives. My marriage, but God. My, my job, but God. And on the flip side of that, he also wants to take these desires of our flesh and he wants to put but God in front of those things as well. Make more money, but God. Be a steward of your finances, but God. Get another job, but God. My relationship with my wife, but God. My relationship with my children, but God. There's a popular book called In His Steps that uh, on three different occasions over the last two weeks had three different people tell me to read it, an old popular book. It's not, uh, maybe it's old. I don't know how, long, how old it is. Called In His Steps, and it's actually where the movement of WWJD, What Would Jesus Do, came from. It's a fictional book where the people of the church actually make a year-long pledge and they start asking the question, what would Jesus do in every situation of their lives? Now it's kind of really super cliche. We kind of wear the bracelets. We have the shirts. People don't really think about it. I mean, I, before this book read it, I had seen WW, before, I, before this book read it, before I read this book, I had seen the WWJD stuff. And I was like, oh, that's a good thought. But I really understand the depth of what that kind of came from. This but God is that exact same thing. What would Jesus do inside of your situation, inside of your marriage, inside of your, your walk with your children, inside of your job, inside of those hard places? What would Jesus do but God inside of those situations? So we're all children of wrath, children of disobedience, heading, on, heading down this road towards destruction. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. How sweet is that? Taking a zombie and turning it into a live, warm body. Somebody walking around dead with X's in their eyes, no clue what's going on, just going after destruction, going after whatever their heart desires. But God steps in and gives life. He's offering life to you this morning, brother and sister. Would you take it? It's by grace that you have been saved. What does this grace look like? Let's go to first Ephesians, excuse me, Ephesians 1. Right, right there in the same thing, in verse 7. By grace you have been saved. 
Verse 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood. Through the shedding of Jesus Christ's blood, we have redemption. That's where the grace comes. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So Jesus Christ has given us grace through his blood by shedding his blood, by reaching down into the muck and saying, grab my hand. I will pull you up. All you have to do is grasp it. Here we are, dead people, sitting on the side of a cliff, struggling to hold on, thinking that we're going after the pie in the sky. And he's saying, just grab onto my hand. I got you. Look up here. It's a prairie up here. I want to pull you into the prairie. But how often do some of us say, no, 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 it's better down here on the rock. Well, it's better down here. Whoa, oh, I'm hanging on by a, fin- a, f- a finger, an inch. Now, it's better down here on the rock. He says, no, grasp my hand. I'm giving you my hand. Grasp it. I want to pull you up. That's his grace. Not something that you can do, but he can do. Going to verse 8, it says, this is in 1, It says, the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. For what? As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him in heaven and earth. So what is the purpose of? of all these things that God has given. See this in verse, uh, verse, what is that? Verse 9, it says, to his purpose. It's not purposes. It says purpose. His one purpose is to what? To unite all things in him, things on earth and in heaven. That's what his purpose is. That's why he sent Jesus Christ. That's why his blood was shed. That's why he gave the, the grace. It was for the purpose to unite everything under him. We see that further in verse 7. I mean, start in verse 22 in chapter 1, it says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things, the church, all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fulfills all. So his purpose is to unite all things. So you can ask the question, always, you can ask the question, what is God's purpose in this? What is he he doing inside of this? What does he want to do inside of this? The answer is simple to a certain extent. It is to unite all things under him. This thing is going on in my, in my relationships with my best friend right now. Why is, why is this happening? Is God doing something? It's to unite all things under him. As we submit ourselves to him, he will unite all things under him. Because it is the fullness, as it says in verse 22, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I challenge you. I'm going to challenge you. Three things right now before we, keep, before we go forward. Will you ask in all of your situations, what is the but God thing that he wants to do in my life? Right now, in my sin, what is the but God that he wants me to do? Right now, in my glory, what is the but God thing that he wants to do? Right now, in whatever my situation is, what is the but God thing that he wants to do? Two, how does he want to unite all things under himself? And what's going on in my situation, in my life? And three... Are you a zombie? 
Are you alive in Christ? Paul says it this way in Philippians 1.21, to me to live, for to me to live is to Christ, and to die is to gain. For all of us who are in the faith, that's the only answer, is to live is to Christ. Not to live is to be like Christ, to live is to Christ. Because your old man has died, and you are alive in Jesus Christ. That's what we just read here inside of this this passage in uh, Ephesians 2. The old man is gone, and you've been risen alive in Jesus Christ. Are you walking around alive today, or are you walking around dead? Are you walking around being the light of the world, or are you walking around with extinguished light? Are you making a difference for the kingdom of God, or are you not? Are you being obedient or are you being absolutely disobedient? Oh, I can feel the conviction. It feels nice. On me. On me. And if we don't answer these questions, brothers and sisters, then honestly, what are we doing here? There's no reason for us to be here. Uh, Matt Chandler, one of my favorite pastors, says, this is the worst hobby that we could ever do. Who wants to come to a place and have people speak at you for an hour to two hours? If, you don't, if you're not in this to win it, if you're not in Christ to live is to Christ and literally think to die is to gain, whenever I die, I will gain all of him in full, but right now I have all of him in full. If you don't live that way, then what are you doing here? Because this really isn't a fun place to be I could think of 100 million other places that I would want to be, the mountains, a football game, a baseball game, playing Frisbee, all these other things that I would want to be if I did not know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But as, a, as 1 Corinthians 1 says to us, the cross is foolishness to those who are perish, perishing. But to those of us who believe, it is the power of God. Are you walking in that power today, brothers and sisters? Or are you walking as zombies? Chapter 2, verse 6. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him in, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. I love this immeasurable riches verse right here. It's, can you think of immeasurable riches? I think of uh, DuckTales. What was the guy, Mr. McScrooge, swimming around inside of his big vault of gold and all the gold, and he's spitting it out of his mouth like fountains. He's getting in his mouth to spit it. Some of you younger kids don't know any of that. But that, that's what I think of in this immeasurable riches. You just Everything is piling on top of you. So much riches that you can't even imagine. Immeasurable riches. Up in verse, uh, tw- verse chapter 1, we see in uh, verse... Where am I at? Verse 8, he says... He, verse 7, he says, In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of all grace which he lavished upon us. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I think of lavish, I think of a piece of toast and me saying, hey, somebody put some jelly on there. And that person putting as much jelly as they can on top of that. He's lavishing that jelly up on that piece of bread. 
Because he's not he's just not just going to put a, a little small spoonful and just let me. No, no, no. He's going to be generous with it. He's going to be, give me that, give me lavish that on me. I want this much jelly on my toast. That's what God does with his grace. And that's what he does with his innumerable riches to each one of us, is he gives us more and he gives us more. It's never running out. But just because it's never running out, does that mean that we take advantage of it? What does Romans say? Since sin abounds, should I go on sinning? By no means. Since grace abounds, should I go on sinning? Excuse me. By no means. By no means do we continue living like zombies. You're a child of life. Reach your hands up and say, I'm a child of life. Just put your hands up like this and look up to God and say, I'm a child of life. If you are a child of life, then you're a child of life. You have life in you. I like it back there. I'm seeing it. You're a child of life. You have this new life inside of Jesus Christ. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace, brother and sister, you have been saved through faith in this Jesus Christ. I would argue that most of you, for most of you in this room, this isn't a new teaching. You've probably heard a teaching like this a thousand times. But I'll remind you that in the scriptures, it says multiple times, it is good for me to remind you of these things. Because what did I say earlier? We're all dumb. And how quickly we forget. It's by grace that you have been saved. It is by his grace, him reaching down into death and pulling you up into life that is the only way that you're able to be saved. As we started off today, we talked about revelation. It's only through Jesus's revelation made to you that you are able to know him. What happened with Peter when Jesus asked his disciples, he said, who do, you, who do, they, who do they say that I am? And he said, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're whoever. And he said, who do you say that I am? And what did Peter say? He said, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, Son of God. And he says, blessed are you, I think he says Simon Barjona, blessed are you, for this did not come by your own knowledge, but through the revelation of God. God revealed it to him. That's what has to happen to each one of us, a revelation. Do you need revelation this morning? Are we looking for revelation this morning? For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. God revealing himself to you, reaching down and grabbing you and pulling you up. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Giving you those innumerable riches. Lavishing that jelly on you, that good old grace that he has. Lavishing it on you. It's the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast. None of this is religious works. None of this is me doing something so that I can get something. No, it is absolute God pulling us out of the muck. But the next verse tells us something. We all have a a job to play. Each one of us has something to do inside of the body of Christ. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. Not that any of your works, any of your religiosity, any of the things that you've done are worth anything. But he has called you for good works. He's called you for a job. Brother and sister, are you doing your job inside of the kingdom of God right now? Do you know what your job is inside of the kingdom of God? Did you just get saved by grace through faith and then said, all right, I'm done. Just come to church on Sundays, come to church on Wednesdays, maybe go to a prayer, 24-hour prayer every now and then or something like that. Um, the fall festival, I won't say bad words anymore. I won't do some bad things anymore. Are you walking in the fullness of who he's called you to be? Ephesians, or sorry, yeah, in it, later on in Ephesians, here in chapter 4, he says, I therefore a prisoner, this is chapter 4, verse 1, a prisoner for the Lord, of the, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Are you walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which God has called you? If not, and you're feeling the conviction right now, that is a good thing. You have two, two responses to conviction. You either submit to it and, and repent, or you kick against it and deflect it. You'll deflect it on other people. You'll deflect it on to the speaker. You'll deflect it on anyone else. Well, that's you, but that ain't me. Those are our two responses. What was uh, the one thing that John the Baptist went around saying to everyone. And also Jesus said the same exact thing. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Well, brothers and sisters, I tell you now, the kingdom of God is here. Not near, the kingdom of God is here. And it is in this room right now. The Holy Spirit is in this room right now. And the kingdom of God is here. For all of you online, the Holy Spirit is there. And the kingdom of God is there. It's not near, it's here. Then how much more should we receive revelation? How much more should we be repenting? How much more should we be on our face? How much more should we be living our lives for God? It's by grace that he's given it to us. He's given you this life by his grace. It's by his rich mercies. What's your response? What's your response? We'll move on to verse 11. We're moving towards the end here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase verse 11 through 13. It says, there's circumcised and uncircumcised, two things done by the flesh and done by the spirit. People were separated. And we get into verse 14, or for, verse 13, and it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's good stuff. We've been far off from Jesus Christ. We've been brought near by his blood. Just as we read earlier, it is through the redemption of his blood, the forgetting of our trespasses and our sin, that we've been brought near. Those who are far off and those who are close are still brought near to him. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the laws and commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two and so making peace and might reconcile us both to God 
in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. If you listen to the media today, they're going to tell you that we are all separate and we are all divided and we are all completely apart from each other. But I tell you, brother and sister, I even preached on this a couple months ago, maybe a couple weeks ago, I can't remember now, time runs together, that we are all one in Jesus Christ. It is only through him bringing the dividing wall down that he has united us all together. There's no more Jew there's no more Scythian. There's no more barbarian, Greek, circumcised, uncircumcised, slave or free. But Christ is all and he's in all. That's how we can say to live to, for, for me to live is Christ. Because Christ is all and in all. Our decisions are made by Christ. What do I do with this $500? Christ. What do I do with my job? Christ. What would Jesus want us to do? Where's that but God? We're all made one. The hostility is gone. I can embrace hands with my brothers and sisters and walk in love with them. And he came, verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. How sweet is it that Jesus came to preach peace to those who were near, a.k.a. the circumcised, the Jews, those who were close by, who kind of sort of understood, and then those who were far off, those who had one God and were close by in that one God culture-wise, and then those who were far off who were complete animist, complete polytheist. He preached peace to all of them and brought them all near. And even today, he's bringing us all near in that way. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place. For, the God, for God by the Spirit. So the same Spirit, the Spirit of revelation, the Spirit of wisdom that we talked about earlier, is the same Spirit that's building us all together. This revelation, this wisdom, this knowledge of Him, this knowledge of God that takes us deeper with Him. As me and Tawan were talking earlier, it's so simplistic, but yet so deep. It's like an inch of water, as Tawan said, it's like an inch of water that you can drown in. He's given us himself in full. How do you respond to it? How do you take it on today? What is but God in your life today? I, like Paul in verse 3, Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ on behalf of the Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardness of the great, the steward, the stewardship of the grace of God that was given to me for you. I, like Paul, stand in that same exact way today, asking you guys, not as a prisoner of Jesus Christ, 
but as a servant of his, as a, a son of his, as a friend of his. I'm assuming that you guys have heard the stewardship of the gospel that God's given me, that he sent me into the unknown lands of the world, to some of us, to others of us, not so much unknown, for the sake of his gospel. So how do you respond today? I usually don't like to uh, ask for an altar call or anything like that, but I'm going to ask today, and I'm going to ask for all of you with your eyes open to look around, because as stewards of Jesus Christ's call, and if you do make a decision to follow Jesus Christ today, or make a decision to give your life back to Jesus because you've been far off, we want to walk with you. We want to help you in your walk. If you see these verses that we just read, it wasn't just a singular person building up inside of the body. This is for your good works inside of the church. All of us have a part to play inside of this. So if God is calling you to give your life to him today, you said, man, I've been a zombie for too long. I've been walking around. I'm a child of disobedience. I know it. Although I try to do some good things, I really do know that I'm a child of disobedience. I am a child of wrath headed towards that spot. And I just really want life in Jesus Christ. I would ask you to stand this morning so that we can link arms with you, so that we can put arm in arm with you. We can walk beside you. We can help you. We can disciple you. One of the things that we want to do here at Calvary Chapel Richmond is we want to put our arm around you and walk beside you, growing you up in Jesus Christ. Same with you guys online. If you want Jesus, please let us know because he's reaching out to you. So if you do want Jesus, you want to stop walking around as a zombie, please stand this morning. And if there's no one that wants to stand because they're not tired of being a zombie, how many of you guys have had life in Jesus Christ and are now far off again? You're still walking as a son or daughter of disobedience. You're still looking like a child of wrath. You're not making decisions by that, but God. What does God want to do in this situation? What is he doing? How can I walk in him? What would he do in this moment? I'd ask you to stand because we'd also like to pray with you and walk with you and disciple you up in Jesus Christ. If there's anyone for either of those two things, you can stand now. If not, then I'll pray and move off the stage. Great. We're all good with Jesus. That's exciting. I hope that you feel excited by that. If we're all good with Jesus, we're all loving him, we're all walking in him, then my expectations, I'll be honest with you, I have high expectations. My expectations are for all of you to live as Christ. To live as Christ. Next Wednesday, next Sunday, next Tuesday, next Monday, when I see you, I'm going to ask you the question, you living as Christ? You die in his game? You making your decisions by Jesus? You making your decisions by your own flesh? And I pray that each one of you ask me that same thing. Says, Zach, what's up with that? You living as Christ? 
I see you doing that over there. Are you living as Christ, Zach Calthorn? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace that you lavish on us, Lord. You give us so much grace, Lord. By the power of your blood, you have made us sons and daughters in your name, Lord. You've brought us, me, who is so far away from you, God. You've brought me near. And you've unified all of us as one in you and under you. God, I pray that you would make us look like you, Jesus. That we would walk as you walk. That we would be obedient as you were obedient, Jesus Christ, even to death and death on a cross. God, let none of us walk out of this room, walk out of this building, walk out of our houses without walking in you, Jesus. Because truly to live for us, to live is to Christ. And to die is to gain all of you in your fullness. Because your kingdom is here. It's here now. We're able to live in that fullness even now. And these bodies and this place live in that fullness. All of our time, all of our energy, all of our talents, all of our finances, all of our hope, Lord, is deposited in you, God. Pray that you would bring your revelation to each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.